0: To season three of A New Voice of Freedom, the podcasts are taken from the four volumes in defense of Christianity written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 33, taken from the book Poets Corner, is entitled The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Parts three and four.
1: In the previous podcast, the Ancient Mariner shot the albatross wantonly, violating the law of hospitality, for they had invited the bird aboard their ship. Bed him and played with him. Because of his great sin, the entire ship was cursed. Without fresh water to drink, they are all near death. They hang the albatross around the mariner's neck for punishment. One must keep in mind that the albatross is the largest bird on earth that can fly, with a possible wingspan of 11 feet. Its weight and rotten flesh would be a horrendous burden. It symbolizes the heavy weight and grossness of unrepented sins. But the road to redemption has only just begun. In part three, the sea grows from strange to stranger till they see the death ship itself coming toward them. On the ship, death is playing dice for their souls. It brings to mind the words of Paul, the sting of death is sin.
0: Part the Third there passed a weary time, each throat was parched and glazed each eye. A weary time, a weary time, how glazed each weary eye, when looking westward I beheld a something in the sky. At first it seemed a little speck, and then it seemed a mist. It moved and moved, and took at last a certain shape, I wist, A speck, a mist, a shape, I wist, and still it neared and neared. As if it dodged a water sprite, it plunged and tacked and veered. With throats unslaked, with black lips baked, we could not laugh nor wail. Through utter drought, all dumb we stood. I bit my arm, I sucked the blood, and cried, A sail, a sail!
1: The mariners, in their giddiness, not knowing that it is the death ship, began to rejoice. They think the ship is bringing good fortune, that it will rescue them.
0: With throats UNSLAKED, with black lips baked, agape, they heard me call. Good mercy! They, for joy, did grin, and all at once their breath drew in as they were drinking all. See, see! I cried. She tacks no more. Hither to work us WEAL, without a breeze, without a tide, she steadies with upright keel. The western wave was all aflame. The day was well nigh done. Almost upon the western wave rested the broad bright sun, when that strange shape drove suddenly betwixt us and the sun.
1: However, they began to fear, because the ship sails without breeze or tide on a steady course. For mariners, they fear the unnatural and see it as a very bad omen. The sails are more like spider webs than canvas.
0: And straight the sun was flecked with bars, Heaven's Mother, send us grace! As if through a dungeon great he peered with broad and burning face. Alas, thought I, and my heart beat loud, How fast she nears and nears! Are those her sails that glance in the sun like restless gossamers?
1: As they sail close they look death into the face.
0: Are those her ribs through which the sun did peer as through a grate? And is that woman all her crew? "'Is that a death, and are there two? "'Is death that woman's mate?' "'Her lips were red, her looks were free, "'her locks were yellow as gold, "'her skin was white as leprosy. "'The nightmare life and death was she "'who thicks man's blood with cold. "'The naked hulk alongside came, "'and the twain were casting dice. "'The game is done, I've won, I've won,' quoth she.' and whistles thrice
1: in medieval times some believe we were all racked on a wheel of fortune the superstitious mariners correctly interpret the game is done i've won i've won as their own death
0: the sun's rim dips the stars rush out at one stride comes the dark with far heard whispers o'er the sea off shot the specter bark we listened and looked sideways up Fear at my heart, as at a cup, my lifeblood seemed to sip. The stars were dim and thick the night, the steersman face by his lamp gleamed white from the sails that dew did drip. Till clone be above the eastern bar the horned moon with one bright star within the nether tip.
1: The mariners all turned to the one who shot the albatross, blaming him for their untimely death. The ancient mariner has become a kind of Jonah. Now the image has become clear. The specter bark, or ghost ship, has two crew members. One is death, and the other is life in death. Death claims the 200 crewmen freeing them from their suffering, for they are not as guilty as the ancient mariner. They had suffered enough. They go to heaven or hell according to the life they lived prior to this journey. The ancient mariner, however, had just begun to understand his guilt. Life and death calls for him. He doesn't die physically, he dies spiritually, for he is cut off from all other living souls.
0: One after one by the star-dogged moon, too quick for groan or sigh, each turned his face with a ghastly pang and cursed me with his eye. Four times fifty living men, and I heard nor sigh nor groan, with heavy thump a lifeless lump they dropped down one by one.
1: The next image is for me one of the most chilling in the poem, because the mariner is reminded with each death that his crossbow killed not only the albatross, but it was also responsible for the deaths of the other 200 crew members, including his nephew. It suggests the magnitude of his sin, that killing the albatross was not an isolated event, but was the direct cause of the deaths of all his shipmates. It raises a tremendous theological question, how far does our guilt travel? Are we responsible not only for the evil act itself, which could take but a moment, but also for all the consequences of the evil act down through generations? It is likely that many, if not all, the other crew members had families. How far does sin travel before we are free from its hold over us? How far must the atonement of Christ extend? How long does the mariner's guilt last?
0: The souls did from their bodies fly. They fled to bliss or woe and every soul it passed me by, like the whiz of my crossbow."
1: The image conjures up the idea that just as he shot the albatross with his crossbow, with that same crossbow he killed the other mariners. He felt the curse as the soul of each mariner left their bodies lying on the deck of the ship. However, it is the reaction of the wedding guests that now catches our attention. We have forgotten about him as we listen to the mariner's dark tale but the wedding guest is actually the focus of the story. It is the wedding guest that must hear the story. We must each ask ourselves, with whom do we identify? There are five separate audiences in the story. The ancient mariner, the wedding guest who is nearest of kin, the other wedding guests who attend the wedding, the other mariners, the townspeople, and the hermit. It raises a great theological conundrum, experiential transference, By that I mean, can another person transfer their experience onto us? In other words, can we benefit vicariously from their experience to the point that we learn wisdom without having to suffer through the experience ourselves? Is experiential transference sufficient, or do we have to suffer as the mariner suffered to learn what the mariner learned? At the heart of the creation story in Genesis is the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis, Moses writes, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Why was only one wedding guest chosen to hear the tale? And how did the mariner know that he was the right one? Like the five foolish virgins, the lamp of the wedding guest did not have sufficient oil. He needed the mariner just as the mariner needed him. The mariner frightens the wedding guest because he is afraid he is a ghost.
0: Part the Fourth i fear thee ancient mariner i fear thy skinny hand and thou art long and lank and brown as is the rib sea sand i fear thee and thy glittering eye and thy skinny hand so brown fear not fear not thou wedding guest this body dropped not down
1: the mariner continues his tale for me some of the best imagery in the poem follows which explains the isolation of sin the feeling of complete abandonment and desertion. Just as the wedding guest is separated from the other guest, the mariner feels deserted by God, by the other mariners, and by hope itself. He is left only with the horror of ungodly images of what could only be referred to as hell. It takes the power of a poet or prophet to really describe the isolation brought about by grievous sins, unless, of course, one does it through experience. However, it deepens the power of the atonement to bring us back from spiritual death. The mariner is in hell. He is unable to pray. When he tries to pray, Satan, rather than God, whispers into his ear and his heart turns to dust.
0: Alone, alone, all, all alone, alone on a wide, wide sea, and never a saint took pity on my soul in agony. The many men so beautiful, and they all dead, did lie, and a thousand thousand slimy things lived on, and so did I. I looked upon the rotting sea and drew my eyes away. I looked upon the rotting deck, and there the dead men lay. I looked to heaven and tried to pray, but o'er ever a prayer had gushed, a wicked whisper came and made my heart as dry as dust. I closed my lids and kept them closed, and the balls like pulses beat. For the sky and the sea and the sea and the sky lay like a load on my weary eye, and the dead were at my feet. The cold sweat melted from their limbs, nor rot nor reek did they. The look with which they looked on me had never passed away.
1: The mariner feels cursed above all other living beings. He is separated even from the saints, referring to members of Christ's church. He wished for death, but could not find it. In Proverbs 8.35, the Lord says, They that hate me love death. John the Revelator prophesied, And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Revelations 9, six. The horror continues. The mayor wishes for death, but he cannot die. It is life and death that won his soul.
0: An orphan's curse would drag to hell a spirit from on high, but, oh, more horrible than that is a curse in a dead man's eye. Seven days, seven nights I saw that curse, and yet I could not die. The moving moon went up the sky, and nowhere did abide. Softly she was going up, and a star or two beside. Her beams bemocked the sultry main like April, hoar frost spread. But where the ship's huge shadow lay, the charmed water burnt alway a still and awful red.
1: The following images appear to emerge from Dante's Inferno. However, it has just the opposite effect.
0: Beyond the shadow of the ship, I watched the water snakes. They moved in tracks of shining white, and when they reared, the elfish light fell off in hoary flakes. Within the shadow of the ship I watched their rich attire. Blue, glossy green, and velvet black, they coiled and swam, and every track was a flash of golden fire.
1: Surrounded by death and hell, he suddenly sees beauty and life, as strange as that life may appear. In a very strange contrast, any life is better than no life at all. Burdened by the rotting corpse of the albatross round his neck and surrounded by the death of his two hundred mates lying on the deck, the vision of life distills upon his soul and gratitude suddenly enters into his heart with an astonishing effect.
0: O happy living things, no tongue their beauty might declare. A spring of love gushed from my heart, and I blessed them unaware. Sure, my kind saint took pity on me, and I blessed them unaware.
1: It was only then that an even stranger thing happened, which points to the heart of one of his deadly sins, the sin of ingratitude. By killing the albatross, he showed ingratitude to God for his creations. It suggests that ingratitude may also be one of the sins of the wedding guest. Perhaps that is why he was the one chosen. He had to learn the same lesson.
0: The selfsame moment I could pray and from my neck so free The albatross fell off and sank like lead into the sea.
1: It would appear that his trial was over, but Coleridge is not through with the mariner. This was only the first step, albeit a tremendous one. The burden of guilt was lifted when gratitude entered his heart. However, he was still lost at sea with no way to command the ship. Still, first things first, he is dehydrated having been without water for an unspecified time, Following the relief of losing the albatross, the windows of heaven are opened.
0: Part the fifth O oh, sleep, it is a gentle thing beloved from pole to pole, to Merry Queen the praise be given, she sent the gentle sleep from heaven that slid into my soul. The silly buckets on the deck that had so long remained, I dreamt that they were filled with dew, and when I awoke it rained. My lips were wet, my throat was cold, my garments all were dank. Sure, I had drunken in my dreams, and still my body drank. I moved and could not feel my limbs. I was so light, almost, I thought, that I had died in sleep and was a blessed ghost.
1: In addition to being given the living water, immediately the wind began to blow the ship toward home.
0: And soon I heard a roaring wind. It did not come near but with its sound it shook the sails that were so thin and sear. The upper air burst into life, and a hundred fire-flags sheen. To and fro they were hurried about, and to and fro, and in and out, the wan stars danced between. The coming wind did roar more loud, and the sails did sigh like sedge, and the rain poured down from one black cloud, the moon was at its edge. The thick black cloud was cleft and still, the moon was at its side. The water shot from some high crag, the lightning fell with never a jag, a river steep and wide.
1: Now, however, the strangest thing yet occurs. The dead men appear to come to life.
0: The loud wind never reached the ship, yet now the ship moved on. Beneath the lightning and the moon, the dead men gave a groan. They groaned, they stirred, they all uprose, nor spake, nor moved their eyes, it had been strange even in a dream to have seen those dead men rise. The helmsman steered, the ship moved on, yet never a breeze up blew, The mariners all gan work the ropes where they were wont to do, they raised their limbs like lifeless tools, we were a ghastly crew along with the
1: other mariners he becomes part of the crew as the ship mysteriously and miraculously sails on a direct course home even without the wind
0: the body of my brother's son stood by me knee to knee the body and i pulled at one rope but he said not to me
1: this is too much for the waiting guest he is filled with horror for he thinks the ship is being driven by the devil the mariner however teaches him a great lesson
0: i fear the ancient mariner be calm, thou wedding guest. T'was not those souls that fled in pain which to their courses came again, but a troop of spirits blessed. Just before
1: the spirits left the bodies of the mariners, each mariner cursed the ancient mariner. Redemption, however, has begun. It was not the souls of the mariners who visited the ancient mariner. They were angels. When the day is over, the angels leave the bodies and return to heaven.
0: For when it dawned, they dropped their arms and clustered round the mast. Sweet sounds rolled slowly through their mouths and from their bodies past. Around, around flew each sweet sound. They darted to the sun. Slowly the sounds came back again, now mixed, now one by one.
1: The mariner is getting close to home. Rather than snakes and slimy things and ghastly images, the mariner hears songbirds.
0: Sometimes a-dropping from the sky I heard the skylarks sing. Sometimes all little birds that are, how they seem to fill the sea and air with their sweet jargoning. And now twas like all instruments, now like a lonely flute, and now it is an angel's song that makes the heavens be mute. It ceased, yet still the sails made on a pleasant noise till noon, A noise like of a hidden brook in the leafy month of June, that to the sleeping woods all night singeth a quiet tune.
1: The ship continues to sail miraculously on. There is no wind, but it sails a straight course, and the mariner is at peace. He has divine guidance.
0: Till noon we quietly sailed on, yet never a breeze did breathe. Slowly and smoothly went the ship, moved onward from beneath. Under the keel nine fathoms deep from the land of mist and snow, the spirit slid, and it was he that made the ship to go. The sails at noon left off their tune, and the ship stood still also. The sun right up above the mast had fixed her to the ocean, but in a minute she gan stir with a short, uneasy motion, backwards and forwards half her length with a short, uneasy motion. Then like a pine horse let go, she made a sudden bound. It flung the blood into my head, and I fell down in a swoon. The
1: mariner falls into a trance. Before he returns to life, he hears strange voices. The voices, however, are from the spiritual realm. In his dream, they are not talking to him. They are talking to each other about him. One is critical of the mariner, the other sympathetic. The voices define the mariner's sin. And the softer voice, as if in pity, says that although he has done penance, he is not yet through, he must face even greater penance.
0: How long in that same fit I lay, I have not to declare, but ere my living life returned, I heard, and in my soul discerned, two voices in the air. Is it he, quoth one, is he the man, by him who died on cross? With his cruel bow he laid full low the harmless albatross. The spirit who bideth by himself in the land of mist and snow, he loved the bird that loved the man who shot him with his bow. The other was a softer voice, as soft as honey-dew. Quoth he, the man hath penance done, and penance more will do.
1: That concludes Parts 2 and 3. In the next podcast, we will conclude this by discussing Parts 5, 6, and 7. In the final podcast, we will present the further requirements of the Ancient Mariner's Penance.
0: Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.
1: In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.